Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. So have you ever tried to keep something big under wraps, some manner of a secret? I love it when little kids know a secret, or formerly little kids, and they come into a room and they announce, I've got a secret. And of course, they're begging to tell somebody what the secret is, right? You know, and it's a, it's a common motif in literature as well and in the movies where the big secret is inevitably overheard by the wrong person, right? You probably can name any number of stories where that's the case. Or maybe when there's a partial overhearing and then whoever partially overheard creates a story based on limited information and it sets up the drama of the movie or the book. Yeah, these are recurrent themes that uh, happen a lot in literature and the arts. Oh, uh, yeah, and uh, well, one of the things we know living in the D.C. metro around here is this is like the worst place to try to keep a secret. That's for sure. Yeah, just talk to the Supreme Court folks about that. Oh, and then speaking of things that never lie and never hold back, DNA. So our news is full of all kinds of people discovering all kinds of interesting facts about their families of origins and their relationships. I recently, actually this is true, I recently met a man who was able to connect with his 13 half-siblings. And this individual is technically a third cousin of mine. So it's uh, very interesting. Um, no, none of his half-siblings were, were in my half-sibling collection or full-sibling or who knows anymore. I guess it just highlights the notion of oneness, right? You know, like we say in unity, we are all a part of one another. We are all connected. Well, DNA says that is a fact. So make peace with that. And the legal and law professions are also finding good use for DNA uh, in the prosecution of crimes and conversely in exoneration of individuals who were imprisoned for crimes they did not commit. All of which brings me to today's message and tonight's full moon lunar eclipse. And this saying from that's been paraphrased loosely from Buddhist teaching says there are three things that cannot have to count. I have to three things that cannot be hidden. The sun, the moon, and the truth. However, a more accurate accurate just translation reads, three things shine in the open, not under cover. What are the three? The moon shines in the open, not under cover. The sun shines in the open, not undercover. The teaching and the training of a proclaimed, the teaching and training proclaimed by a realized one shines in the open, not undercover. So surely, is there anybody here named Shirley? Okay, so all right, so just she she needs to be reminded of things. So surely, a realized one would be known by their teachings and trainings and no doubt would display and live a high degree of integrity and being impeccable with their words, right? That's the first of the four agreements as described by Don Miguel Ruiz in his book, The Four Agreements. 
The others, by the way, are don't take anything personally. How are we doing with that one? <laughs> uh, don't make assumptions. Good luck with that. And always do your best. I think that's probably the easiest one for us to pull out. A similar line was uttered in Shakespeare's play, The Merchant of Venice, by Shylock's young servant, Lancelot Gobo, who said while endeavoring to hide his identity from his own yet blind father, truth will out. So what exactly does truth will out mean? Well, it means basically that no matter what one does to cover something up, the truth will eventually come out. And just to be clear, we're not talking about appropriately held confidences like between a physician and a patient. We're talking about the big picture items that relate to our integrity. Well, as you may not be surprised, but Jesus had a few words to say about this as well. We have a little slide about this. Nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. Well, let me put it in context. It goes like this. Um, meanwhile, I've lost track of my notes here. Oh, yeah, here's the full citation. Meanwhile, the crowd had gathered by the thousands so that they trampled on one another, and he began to speak first to his disciples. Beware the yeast of the Pharisees. That is their hypocrisy. There you go. Nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be proclaimed from the housetops. And this sort of teaching is found similarly throughout the Gospels. So I want to put my licensed unity teacher hat on for a moment and give you a little bit of a background, because he mentioned these Pharisees, and there's some question about, now, who are these people? Are they like the neighbors? Um, in his monumental work, The Antiquities of the Jews, the Jewish historian Flavius Josephus listed that there are four sort of main non-Christian religious sects in first century Judaism. They're kind of like just groups of people with a particular thought stream that predominates. Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, and Zealots. Now, the Gospels only mention two of these in particular, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, the specific sects, these specific groups uh, and other related groupings of people not listed by Josephus but were mentioned in the Bible include John the Baptist and his followers, elders, priests, the Sanhedrin, scribes, and Herodians. So we want to make sure that we understand that in first century Judaism in the time of Jesus, there were lots of different kinds of folks and people, kind of like I don't know, Fairfax County, Virginia. We have lots of different kinds of folks and people with also different backgrounds and faith traditions and that sort of things. And although it may be obvious to say, it probably should be noted that each group had their own version of the truth regarding God or policy or politics, and they usually fought with one another because they thought theirs was the only correct way. Does this sound familiar to anybody? All right, see, the more things stay the same, the more things stay the same. So what can we examine from this passage where I just referenced about the Pharisees from both an internal perspective, because in unity and new thought, we want to understand where these principles and practices live within us, as well as where do we see them out here in the outer world? Now, in the scriptures, Jesus made a lot of references, and not very many of them were kind to the Pharisees, although some were. 
Um, and they obviously there was an inimical, inimical relationship between Jesus and his group. And often when Jesus is calling these folks out, it's because of their greed, their avarice, their ambition, their hollowness, meaning they just go through the forms of faith without having real spirit behind it. Uh, they wanted to do things to gain notoriety, to stand out on the street corners, to be seen praying and doing all the right things, but behind closed doors, whatever. So the word that comes up again is hypocrisy, saying one thing and yet doing something else. Now, when we look internally, each of us does sometimes experience that internal consciousness of Pharisees. And I'm not calling anyone out to make anybody wrong or bad. But as Charles Fillmore said in the Metaphysical Bible's Dictionary, that the Pharisees represent an individual consciousness, representing thoughts that arise out of the subconscious, binding humans to and mankind to external forms of religion. And this is the key part without giving the people an understanding of their real meaning. So how many of times have we ever engaged in a practice or done against a policy, but we really didn't know why are we doing that? It's just what we do. What's the thought process behind it? Because sometimes the thought process behind it has a flaw or could be improved in some way, shape, form or upgraded. So when I think about what might this Pharisee consciousness internally in me or in people represent, I kind of shortened the explanation down to uncritical thinking and uncritical following. Or we might say uncritical thinking and the actions that follow uncritical thinking. And when I say critical, uncritical, I don't mean like criticizing, but just thoughtful. Why are we doing this? How does this make sense? It's almost like a scientist or an, uh, or an inventor looking at something and saying, can this be more effective? Why are we doing it this way uh, when maybe another way might help us to accomplish what we want to do more efficiently? So all of this, of course, leads me to youth and family ministry, right? You saw where I was going. Is that clear? Where? Okay, let me explain. So when we teach children spiritual principles, we use a format called the living curriculum. And in short, a story is shared, a lesson is given, and then we ask questions, a series of questions, you know, to pull out from the student, from the person in the classroom, uh, a variety of what, what they got out of it. And some of those questions include, and there are three big ones in my opinion, where do I see this story in me? So how am I living the story that we just led? Is there something, some correlation I can make with myself? Secondly, where do I see this in my life? Like in my immediate circle of people, my school, my friends, my family, where do I, where do I see this up close and personal? And the third question we ask is, where do I see this in the world? You know, looking at the great big world, where do I see this principle at play? So what I want to talk about today is something I really don't want to talk about. Hypocrisy. Let's take a breath. So where do I see this in myself, in me? None of us likes to acknowledge that we're being a hypocrite. Is it true? I mean, so many of us have had the opportunity of doing a searching and fearless moral inventory. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But when you do look within, you might see, I don't 
necessarily come up to my own standard in something. It's common. It, so it is so common, we all do it. And I don't say that to point fingers and make blame. That's not what we're about here. We're about awakening each life to the Christ within, awakening each life to the full expression of spirit that Sherry so beautifully talked about. So it is incumbent upon us to sometimes look within to see where is that not happening and to take the actions or hold the thoughts that will allow us to release that so that we, like a sculptor, we might remove what doesn't belong so that the sculpture can be shared. It's not about blame or shame. And sometimes we, when we realize this, what do we do? We want to deny it. Oh, no, not me, not me. No, that couldn't possibly be me. That might be somebody else, but not me. You know, we, don't, we especially deny these things if we're attached to something like our greed or our uh, um, tendency to want to have power and that sort of thing. But under it all, we know the truth. Buddha knew the truth. Jesus knew the truth. Shakespeare knew the truth and the truth will out. And when we engage in this process of recognizing where I'm not aligning, we have a choice into what we make that experience mean. Because sometimes it's painful, and Marcus will tell you, sometimes that's painful. So let's find a purpose in it, right? And the purpose can be, wow, this is fantastic. Now that I recognize this, I can free myself to be who I've truly come here to be. Hallelujah, it's a win. Or we can choose to continue to hide and avoid, deny, and in some way or shape or another, allow that hypocrisy to continue to harm someone somewhere on some level, and inevitably that will be ourselves. It's a hard work, and it's a good work. It is a wonderful work. Keep breathing. We will get through this. We'll be out here by 2 o'clock. So let's talk about where we see hypocrisy in our lives, in our circle with uh, those around us or the organizations in which we live. Now, here we have an opportunity to make an impact that can, if it is received, will help those in our circle up-level our game. It's kind of like an integrity invention, uh, intervention. And after all, integrity is the antidote to hypocrisy. So here's a word of caution, though. We must be very cautious and very, very self-aware when we're working to make a change in our system. Jesus said, Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? <laughs> or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? These people must have enormous eyes. I mean, it must have been like aliens back in the day. You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly the speck in your, own, in, in your neighbor's eye. He's saying, clean your house first, guys. Put the onus on yourself. See, too often, dysfunctional and toxic behaviors and systems are tolerated. Right? Anybody ever been in a dysfunctional system or, or, or yeah, okay, okay, not just me. Uh, because we don't want to make waves or face the, wrath, face the wrath, for instance, of an unhealthy manager. But sometimes it has to be done, and it has to be done from love, tough love, 
Very, very tough love. But love nonetheless, and this is important, because love says, I want you to correct, heal, change, modify your ways so that you can be successful and happy. Because without love, what you have is punishment without the chance of redemption. Do you see the difference? You're calling somebody out. Is it a point to, I want to punish you because you're bad and you're going to stay bad? Or are we calling this out because I love you and I want you to be your best self so you can be the limited expression of the Christ of God that you are right here and right now. Because if we stop at punishment, we just perpetuate the cycle. I sometimes worry about our departments of corrections, which from my point of view, I see very little correcting. They should be called the Department of Punishment. Okay, let's breathe because it's going to get a little deeper. Then we're going to bring it back up. What about hypocrisy in the greater world? Did I mention we live in the D.C. metro? <laughs> All right, probably shouldn't say things like that. But what about that when we see in our social structures, our customs, our institutions, our governments, our, our world, where we see these things that just don't seem fair? You know, it reminds me of the Hans Christian Andersen story about the emperor's new clothes. You familiar with that one? That's probably, I'm surprised that one hasn't been banned yet. In this story, it's a, that's where we're going. So in this story, it's a little child who says, the emperor has no clothes. While the townspeople were apparently complicit with the ruse that the emperor had these gorgeous new clothes. Well, I suppose he was wearing his birthday suit, which is a suit he gets it on a technicality. All right, we'll go with that. I should have studied the law. But why did they go along with this nonsense? Was it the manifestation of Pharisee consciousness, uncritical thinking, uncritical following? I mean, it raises some really significant questions that we have to look at our big picture systems. Because I've been seeing a lot of things that to me don't make sense. For instance, laws passed or about to be passed around reproductive rights that seem to be focused on women. Aren't men involved in this somewhere, somehow? Did I miss something, or have they changed the way things are done these days? Or laws passed to limit voting? I thought we were a culture dedicated to ensuring the vote. Or why is teaching the fullness of American history a bad thing? All of it. Or why are landfills and hazardous waste dumps disproportionately located near poor people's areas? It seems to me that rich people, too, create hazardous waste. There are some things I question. And I have a great big list, but eh, that's enough. You know, Jesus called out hypocrisy more than any other behavior. 
saying as an example from Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You know, sometimes we get this notion of Jesus was just like the total nice guy. Hi, I'm Jesus. I'm nice. Not always. Look at, he was, and look at this, look at the stories. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. This hyperbole he was so known for. It's like, yeah, you go. I love it. However, that's not the end of the story because everything that he said and did to these people was because the kingdom is right here. You are it. I am it. We are all it. There is room enough and a place enough for all of us. And we have to know where we are as individuals are preventing and precluding it and making it harder for us to be in oneness rather than easier. <sighs> Breathe. So I want to begin wrapping things up with a quote from German Lutheran pastor Martin Niemöller. And it's a saying, a, a series of prayers or affirmations that he made in a variety of different contexts after the war. But here's one version that's probably the most common. First, they came for the socialists, but I did not speak out because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was nobody left to speak for me. These are indeed very challenging times. But I truly believe, and I'm an optimist, I truly believe we can leverage them for good. All the issues that are on the table are there for us. You know, I like to say, let's ask the question, how can what is before us be for us? Because if that's the question we answer, ask, that's the one we'll answer, right? So how can these challenging times be for us, be for the common good? And I think it requires each one of us as individuals to examine our hearts and our minds to see how or if or where we have enabled in, in uh, hypocrisy. In ourselves, we always got to start right here. This is where it all begins. In our circle and in our world. You know, these ideas and these consciousness of separation and fear and anger and violence and all these things, they have their origins in human hearts and human minds. And that's the good news, right? That's the good news because hearts and minds can be changed. You know, as Jesus said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man but what comes out, for what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And when we look into our hearts, we see the fullness of our being, but most importantly, what we see, as, we, as Paul said, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There is that brilliant light within each and every one of us that we can give expression to. 
Like, like Niemöller, who initially in the third, 1930s was an anti-Semite who supported Hitler's rise to power. But later on came to realize the evil of the Nazi Reich, and he did speak out against it. He was imprisoned, and after, after the war, he became a fierce advocate for repentance, which is just the word meaning for changing of the mind and heart and healing. And he was one of the earliest Germans to talk publicly about the broader complicity in the Holocaust and guilt for what had happened to the Jews. We did it. We said it. We enabled it. Let's move forward, having recognized our role in it. Not unlike the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions in South Africa and Sierra Leone, and even Greensboro, North Carolina has had one. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King once said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. And King's influence, like Niemöller's, continues to inspire people to work for a just and inclusive society. So the current challenges to our nation and to our world, and ultimately to our faith, because I don't know anybody in the past few years thanks, pandemic, going to leverage this one for good, who hasn't had a crisis of faith in some way, shape, or form. What is all this about? Where is the purpose in this pain? So these experiences are revealing to us what needs to be healed in our individual psyches and in the collective psyche. You know, we feel the angst, we see its effects, but here's the great news, and this is a good news talk, boys and girls. I'm serious as I can be. We can change the end of the story. We can make this story end however we want it to be. Because each one of us is inherently empowered to be agents of change, agents of healing, agents of peace in the world, agents of these five core values of our community on the back wall. We can do it. And if we prayerfully affirm guidance so that our words and our actions are wise and loving, we will be and we are unstoppable. So we can look at the times and the facts of the day, and we can just simply say, all right, this is kind of our inventory. We're just kind of lining up our work. What's got to be done? What's got to be healed? So we can do what must be done to preserve and expand the beloved community, to demonstrate and realize the kingdom of God right here and right now. Like Jesus said, it's been here the whole time. It is up to us to live it, to manifest it, to make it real for all. And we can all work together for equal justice under law. So anyway, that's your homework. That's all we got to do. We'll come back next week and see how we've done. Great people get great problems, like my cousin Marcus, because there is that within them that can use it to a great effect for the betterment of us all. People are being inspired by Marcus's story. People are inspired by what Derek said about, let's create a space to listen to one another. The work is already happening, and we're all doing it. So let us use our time of spiritual practice to strengthen those spiritual muscles so that we can do what must be done. 
Now, you may get some guidance you don't like, but that's all right. Just go with it. Because if it's grounded in love and grounded in love for yourself and others, your integrity will be intact. Your healing will be unfold and your impact in the world will be monumental. That's what we're about here at Unity of Fairfax. Have a blessed and beautiful week, everyone. Peace be with you. Namaste. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.